Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us from the Weekly Standard and the Foundation for the Defense of Democracies is Tom Jocelyn. And Tom, I've seen you on TV a lot lately because a lot of stuff happening in your wheelhouse, including the debate over who is and isn't Al-Qaeda. So can you tell me who this Coruscant group is and how I got on their mailing list? <laughs> well, the name Coruscant group is really throwing everybody for a loop, but really it's just Al-Qaeda. It's just the Al-Qaeda organization. All the leaders of the Coruscant group are senior Al-Qaeda operatives. They were sent to Syria by the head of al-Qaeda, Ayman al-Zawahiri, and they were doing the bidding of al-Qaeda. They were planning mass casualty attacks in the West, and they were trying to use Syria as a launching pad. So putting aside all the terminology, the real fact of the matter is they were just simply al-Qaeda. Uh, I uh, saw a comment from Susan Rice about the uh, essentially the destruction of core al-Qaeda. Then, if, if I understand the White House right, there's some certain part of al-Qaeda that has been either destroyed, decimated, etc. How is that different from Khorasan Group? Well, I mean, part of the confusion over what the Khorasan Group is, is is was caused by the administration persistently saying that basically there's this core of al-Qaeda in South Asia that's been decimated. Well, this group in Syria was core al-Qaeda, or is core al-Qaeda. In fact, I'm following one of them on Twitter right now and translating his tweets. Uh, these are guys who are, uh, you know, core al-Qaeda as they come. And the idea that there's this core of al-Qaeda in South Asia and that everything else that's going on is something else is sort of the linchpin of the Obama administration's approach to describing a terrorist threat. But quite frankly, it's wrong. As we've seen with this group in Syria, this is core al-Qaeda. If you know the biographies of these guys, they're all core al-Qaeda. There are core al-Qaeda figures in Yemen and North Africa, you know, East Africa, uh, throughout different countries in the Middle East and, and elsewhere. So the idea that you have this small contained group of al-Qaeda operatives who are just waiting to be droned to death in South Asia and everything else is sort of something else is just wrong. Well, then let me ask it the way I think normal people would ask it. And as you know, Tom, I'm not a normal person myself, but I admire them tremendously. <laughs> um, the group of people who share the vision that al-Qaeda promoted and is willing to kill, you know, conduct uh, terror attacks or, in the case of ISIS, military raids on behalf of that vision, is that group bigger or smaller than it was in 2009 when President Obama took office? That group is bigger. That group is sort of, you're talking about basically the spread of the ideology, which is what al-Qaeda has been about from its founding in 1988. Um, really, a lot of what al-Qaeda has tried to do is spread its jihadist ideology throughout the Muslim world. Um, and they've had more success at doing that than a lot of people in the U.S. want to give them credit for, at least a lot of people in the U.S. government. Um, and so that pool is definitely much deeper today than it was in 2009 or certainly since September 11, 2001, which is what's troubling. But even within that pool, the specific al-Qaeda organization is still alive and has been able to replenish its ranks and is not nearly as decimated as President Obama and his surrogates have tried to claim. So, because uh, I, I appreciate you speaking about the ideology, but I, I, there is a uh, loosely affiliated group that has actually, they communicate somewhat, n obviously not every single member communicates with every other member, but that, I guess the word would be network or that maybe Amway of terrorism or something well, where there are actual people who've been in an Al-Qaeda training camp or who have studied under an Al-Qaeda member. Is that trying to give the administration a little more credit, a little more focus? Is that group bigger or smaller since 2009? Um, well, of course, it's tough to say, but it depends on how you put together the evidence. And I think the evidence, if you do it, the patient sort of careful investigation, that group, in fact, is bigger. 
Um, and part of the reason there's so much confusion is that the administration has tried to pretend that the regional branches of Al-Qaeda, these are sort of groups that run different regions around the globe. There are at least five of them that are officially recognized as being Al-Qaeda branches. In East Africa, you have Shabab, you have Al-Qaeda in Peninsula in Yemen, you have the Nusra Front in Syria, you have Al-Qaeda in the Islamic Maghreb, and now you have a new branch called Al-Qaeda in the Indian subcontinent. Um, the administration has tried to claim that basically those branches are not really full-blown Al-Qaeda. They're something else. But in fact, they are all part of this international network of Al that Al-Qaeda runs. They, the heads of each one of these branches uh, swears a personal bayat or oath of allegiance to Ayman al-Zawahiri, the head of Al-Qaeda. And as they say in their own rhetoric, this bayat actually hangs around their neck. In other words, if I violate, then you have the right to take off my head. And so it's a very serious matter for them. And the idea that they're not full-blown Al-Qaeda just because they're not stationed in Pakistan or because they're doing something other than trying to attack the West side on a day-to-day -day basis, um, it's just, it's just a, it's a phony reading of the record, really. Well, what kind of attacks would they be plotting? Like, for example, you mentioned the uh, Al-Qaeda in the Indian subcontinent. What would they be working on? Well, see, here's, here's what's amazing about this. You know, so the administration says that al-Qaeda is decimated, the al-Qaeda core is decimated in Afghanistan and Pakistan. Well, even if you take them at their definition of al-Qaeda core, which I don't, but even if you did, um, there's evidence to believe that that's very wrong. In fact, just earlier this month, al-Qaeda announced a new branch called al-Qaeda Indian Subcontinent and immediately claimed responsibility for a couple of attacks. Now, what's very interesting is that Al-Qaeda Indian Subcontinent has put out this press release. It's a nine-page PDF file online on Twitter and elsewhere, basically explaining what happened during one of these attacks, or what they claim happened during one of these attacks. And they say they were in the process of hijacking two Pakistani frigates and then using their missiles to attack both a U.S. Um, warship slash oil tanker and the other one being an Indian warship. And they claim that basically the operatives responsible for this plot, who were gunned down by Pakistani security forces during the hijackings or attempted hijackings, were all, in fact, serving members of the Pakistani Navy. So they're saying that they have infiltrated the Pakistani Navy at a very uh, deep level. Um, you know, I haven't been able to verify everything al-Qaeda is saying with regard to that plot right now. Some of it certainly does ring true. And... It, in any event, what we know is that the details here are very disturbing. And basically, this could be one of those things, the next big thing. You know, people are talking about Khorasan Group today in Syria and the threat that they pose to the West. This could be the thing we're talking about a year or 18 months from now or even sooner where people are like, oh, boy, what happened here? You know, God forbid there's another successful major attack. But if there is, Tom, isn't this entire conversation about who's on what team of the baseball cards of Al-Qaeda, you know, was this pre-X-Men Al-Qaeda, post-X-Men Al-Qaeda, you know, isn't it all going to seem so foolish? Because we know that there's this group of people, they have a general shared view, they've been sharing some of their training, some of their ideas, some of their people, and if one of these subgroups attacks us, it's a win for Al-Qaeda, period, and it's dead Americans and dead Westerners, period. Well, I think on a certain level, that's certainly true. I mean, obviously, you, you, deal, and you deal with even the ideological threat, even if it doesn't come from the specific organizations, uh, per se. But I think, overall, um, if, you, if you go through my writings carefully and see what I constantly being the drum on, is that there's this constant bias in the U.S. to basically say that I'm al-Zawahiri, the head of al-Qaeda, and al-Qaeda senior leadership don't have any sway anymore, don't have any pull, and they're sort of out of the game. This is a constant drumbeat of this. 
The problem with that is there is persistent, consistent evidence through the years that that's not true. And in fact, if we've learned anything from recent events in Syria with this so-called Khorasan group, this is a group of operatives. Now take a step back for a second, Michael, and think about this. This is a group of al-Qaeda operatives that came from North Africa, Chechnya, Iran, Iraq, Yemen, uh, Afghanistan, and Pakistan. Okay? They came from all those different areas under the orders of Ayman al-Zawahiri and then converged together in Syria to form this sort of elite group that could plan attacks against the West. That picture is exactly the opposite of a guy who's out of the game, that Ayman al-Zawahiri has no control and no power at all, and that he's basically doing nothing. In fact, all of these operatives from around the world converged in Syria under his orders to plot against the West. And this is important because you, know, you can go through official U.S. intelligence community assessments even earlier this year, the head of the director of national intelligence, James Clapper, and others, saying that basically Zawahiri and his cohorts were just providing ideological inspiration and they weren't really operational anymore. Well, we've just witnessed now in the last two weeks a very stunning display of just how operational Zawahiri really is. Uh, one last question. Uh, the president said that it was uh, James Clapper who failed to perceive the ISIS threat. And there's a lot of conversation from people who are sort of defending where we are uh, as saying no one could have seen ISIS coming. This is a surprise. What the heck happened? You follow this stuff regularly. When did you start seeing the Al-Qaeda in whether it's Syria or the Levant or whichever version of it you want to go with? When did you start seeing this this new grouping of al-Qaeda players on the field? Well, you know, you can go back. There's a piece that Bill Roggio, my colleague in the Lone War Journal, and I wrote, co-authored, for the Weekly Standard in February of 2012 called Strategic Retreat. This was just over a month after the last U.S. combat boots left the ground in Iraq. And basically, we started blowing the whistle then that things were going to spiral out of control. And you can read that we, we said it right then and there that this war is not over and that this is going to get worse. And there are a series of other articles and warnings we've issued, and that's not to trump. That's not to trumpet our sort of our expertise or anything like that. I think the data were obvious. Um, you know, the Pentagon released at one point an assessment saying in the 10 months after the American troops left Iraq, that basically Al Qaeda in Iraq, or the Islamic State of Iraq, which was sort of the precursor to ISIS today, and this is the ISIS grew out of this organization and is really a continuation of it, that the number of attacks by the organization in Iraq almost doubled in the 10 months after American forces left uh, in December of 2011, from about 75 per week in January 2012 to about 140 per week 10 months later. So this has been, there's plenty of indications to show that this thing was spiraling out of control and was getting bad very quickly. Um, it really comes down to whether or not you want to see that and do anything about it or not. And I think the real story here is that the president himself and his immediate advisors really just didn't want to see that. So when he says that Clapper missed it, there, in fact, was plenty to see. It's just that the White House wasn't willing to look at it. Yeah, you know, I mean, the intelligence assessments, one of, one of the things with them is that, you know, basically you, you can get a, they're a mixed bag. I mean, you know, at the highest levels, some of these, some of these officials were downplaying what was going on. Um, but underneath that, the undercurrents underneath that, um, really, if you look at the evidence, the actual intelligence, I don't think, I think that's unambiguous that, in fact, there was a whole stream of evidence saying that this was happening uh, going back a couple of years. You know, this was not something that was all of a sudden out of the blue. And, you know, I'm sure some intelligence officials also were providing stark warnings to the president, whether you want to listen to them or not. You know, uh, you know, at the DIA, you know, General Flynn there was basically, you know, forced out of the Defense Intelligence Agency. 
he's one of the few intelligence officials who was really consistently, you know, uh, warning people about what was going on in the world. So, you know, ultimately, to my mind, you know, some officials probably downplayed it, others probably got it right. But at the end of the day, the president is the ultimate consumer of intelligence. And if he's not wading into that intelligence and evaluating for himself and figuring out what's going on in the world, then that's his problem, his fault, not his surrogates. Tom Jocelyn with the Foundation for the Defense of Democracies and the Weekly Standard. Thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Thanks a lot, Michael. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.